Chapter Ten of the Count of Monte Cristo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Count of Monte Cristo by Alexander Dumas. Chapter Ten, The King's Closet at the Tuileries. We will leave Villefort on the road to Paris, traveling, thanks to trebled fees with all speed and passing through two or three apartments enter at the tuileries the little room with the arched window so well known as having been the favorite closet of napoleon and louis the eighteenth and now louis philippe there seated before a walnut table he had brought with him from hartwell and to which from one of those fancies not uncommon to great people he was particularly attached the king louis the eighteenth was carelessly listening to a man of fifty or fifty-two years of age, with grey hair, aristocratic bearing, and exceedingly gentlemanly attire, and meanwhile making a marginal note in a volume of Griffius's rather inaccurate but much sought-after edition of Horace, a work which was much indebted to the sagacious observations of the philosophical monarch. "'You say, sir,' said the king, "'that I am exceedingly disquieted, sire.' "'Really?' Have you had a vision of the seven fat kine and the seven lean kine? No, sire, for that would only be token for us seven years of plenty and seven years of scarcity. And with a king as full of foresight as your majesty, scarcity is not a thing to be feared. Then of what other scourge are you afraid, my dear Blacas? Sire, I have every reason to believe that a storm is brewing in the south. Well, my dear duke, replied Louis the Eighteenth. I think you are wrongly informed, and know positively that, on the contrary, it is very fine weather in that direction. Man of ability as he was, Louis the Eighteenth liked a pleasant jest. Sire, continued Monsieur de Blacas, if it only be to reassure a faithful servant, will your majesty send into Languedoc, Provence, and Dauphine trusty men who will bring you back a faithful report as to the feeling in these three provinces? Caninus Sirtis, replied the king, continuing the annotations in his Horace. Sire, replied the courtier, laughing, in order that he might seem to comprehend the quotation, your majesty may be perfectly right in relying on the good feeling of France, but I fear I am not altogether wrong in dreading some desperate attempt. By whom? By Bonaparte, or at least by his adherents. My dear Blacas, said the king, you with your alarms prevent me from working. And you, sire, prevent me from sleeping with your security. Wait, my dear sir, wait a moment, for I have such a delightful note on the pastor cuum traheret. Wait, and I will listen to you afterwards. There was a brief pause, during which Louis the Eighteenth wrote, in a hand as small as possible, another note on the margin of his Horace and then looking at the duke with an air of a man who thinks he has an idea of his own, while he is only commenting upon the idea of another, said, Go on, my dear duke, go on. I listen. Sire, said Blacas, who had for a moment the hope of sacrificing Villefort to his own profit, I am compelled to tell you that these are not mere rumors destitute of foundation, which thus disquiet me. But a serious-minded man, deserving all my confidence, and charged by me to watch over the South, the duke hesitated as he pronounced these words, 
has arrived by post to tell me that a great peril threatens the king and so i hasten to you sire maladucus avidomum continued louis the eighteenth still annotating does your majesty wish me to drop the subject by no means my dear duke but just stretch out your hand which whichever you please there to the left here sire i tell you to the left and you are looking to the right i mean on my left yes there you will find yesterday's report of the minister of police but here's monsieur dandre himself and monsieur dandre announced by the chamberlain-in-waiting entered come in said louis the eighteenth with a repressed smile come in baron and tell the duke all you know the latest news of monsieur de bonaparte do not conceal anything however serious let us see the island of elba is a volcano and we may expect to have issuing thence flaming and bristling war bella horida bella monsieur d'andre leaned very respectfully on the back of a chair with his two hands and said has your majesty perused yesterday's report yes yes but tell the duke himself who cannot find anything what the report contains give him the particulars of what the usurper is doing in his islet monsieur said the baron to the duke all the servants of his majesty must approve of the latest intelligence which we have from the island of elba bonaparte monsieur d'andre looked at louis the eighteenth who employed in writing a note did not even raise his head bonaparte continued the baron is mortally wearied and passes whole days in watching his miners at work at porto longeon and scratches himself for amusement added the king scratches himself inquired the duke what does your majesty mean yes indeed my dear duke did you forget that this great man this hero this demigod is attacked with a malady of the skin which worries him to death Burigo? and moreover my dear duke continued the minister of police we are almost assured that in a very short time the usurper will be insane insane raving mad his head becomes weaker sometimes he weeps bitterly sometimes laughs boisterously at other times he passes hours on the seashore flinging stones in the water and when the flint makes duck and drake five or six times he appears as delighted as if he had gained another marengo or austerlitz now you must agree that these are indubitable symptoms of insanity or of wisdom my dear baron or of wisdom said louis the eighteenth laughing the greatest captains of antiquity amused themselves by casting pebbles into the ocean see plutarch's life of scipio africanus monsieur de blacas pondered deeply between the confident monarch and the truthful minister villefort who did not choose to reveal the whole secret lest another should reap all the benefit of the disclosure had yet communicated enough to cause him the greatest uneasiness well well d'andre said louis the eighteenth Lacas is not yet convinced let us proceed therefore to the usurper's conversion the minister of police bowed the usurper's conversion murmured the duke looking at the king and d'andre who spoke alternately like virgil's shepherds the usurper converted decidedly my dear duke in what way converted to good principles tell him all about it baron why this is the way of it said the minister with the gravest air in the world 
Napoleon lately had a review, and as two or three of his old veterans expressed a desire to return to France, he gave them their dismissal, and exhorted them to serve the good king. These were his own words, of that I am certain. Well, Blacas, what do you think of this? inquired the king triumphantly, and pausing for a moment from the voluminous scholi asked before him. I say, sire, that the minister of police is greatly deceived, or I am, and as it is impossible it can be the minister of police, as he has the guardianship of the safety and honor of your majesty, it is probable that I am in error. However, sire, if I might advise, your majesty will interrogate the person of whom I spoke to you, and I will urge your majesty to do him this honor. Most willingly, duke, under your auspices, I will receive any person you please, but you must not expect me to be too confiding. Baron, have you any report more recent than this, dated the 20th February? This is the 4th of March. No, sire, but I am hourly expecting one. It may have arrived since I left my office. Go thither, and if there be none, well... Well, continued Louis the Eighteenth, make one. That is the usual way, is it not? And the king laughed facetiously. Oh, sire, replied the minister, we have no occasion to invent any. Every day our desks are loaded with the most circumstantial denunciations, coming from hosts of people who hope for some return for services which they seek to render but cannot. They trust to fortune and rely upon some unexpected event in some way to justify their predictions. Well, sir, go, said Louis the Eighteenth, and remember that I am waiting for you. I will but go and return, sire. I shall be back in ten minutes. And I, sire, said Monsieur de Blacas, will go and find my messenger. Wait, sir, wait, said Louis the Eighteenth. Really, Monsieur de Blacas, I must change your armorial bearings. I will give you an eagle with outstretched wings, holding in its claws a prey, which tries in vain to escape, and bearing this device. Tenax. Sire, I listen, said de Blacas, biting his nails with impatience. I wish to consult you on this passage. Moli fugins angelitu. You know it refers to a stag flying from a wolf. Are you not a sportsman and a great wolf hunter? Well, then... What do you think of the Moli Angelitu? Admirable, sire, but my messenger is like the stag you refer to, for he has posted two hundred and twenty leagues in scarcely three days. Which is undergoing great fatigue and anxiety, my dear duke, when we have a telegraph which transmits messages in three or four hours, and that without getting in the least out of breath. Ah, sire, you recompense but badly this poor young man, who has come so far, and with so much ardor, to give your majesty useful information. If only for the sake of Monsieur de Salviau, who recommends him to me, I entreat your majesty to receive him graciously. Monsieur de Salviau, my brother's chamberlain? Yes, sire. He is at Marseilles, and writes me thence. Does he speak to you of this conspiracy? No, but strongly recommends Monsieur de Villefort, and begs me to present him to your majesty. Monsieur de Villefort, cried the king, is the messenger's name Monsieur de Villefort? Yes, sire. And he comes from Marseilles? In person. 
why did you not mention his name at once replied the king betraying some uneasiness sire i thought his name was unknown to your majesty no no blacas he is a man of strong and elevated understanding ambitious too and pardieu you know his father's name his father yes noirtier noirtier the girondin noirtier the senator he himself and your majesty has employed the son of such a man blacas my friend you have but limited comprehension i told you villefort was ambitious and to attain this ambition villefort would sacrifice everything even his father then sire may i present him this instant duke where is he waiting below in my carriage seek him at once i hasten to do so the duke left the royal presence with the speed of a young man his really sincere royalism made him youthful again louis the eighteenth remained alone and turning his eyes on his half-opened horse muttered justum etenisum propositi virum monsieur de blacas returned as speedily as he had departed but in the antechamber he was forced to appeal to the king's authority villefort's dusty garb his costume which was not of courtly cut excited the susceptibility of monsieur de bray who was all astonishment at finding that this young man had the audacity to enter before the king in such attire the duke however overcame all difficulties with a word his majesty's order and in spite of the protestations which the master of ceremonies made for the honour of his office and principles villefort was introduced the king was seated in the same place where the duke had left him on opening the door villefort found himself facing him and the young magistrate's first impulse was to pause come in monsieur de villefort said the king come in villefort bowed and advancing a few steps waited until the king should interrogate him monsieur de villefort said louis the eighteenth the duc de blacas assures me you have some interesting information to communicate sire the duke is right and i believe your majesty will think it equally important in the first place and before everything else sir is the news as bad in your opinion as i am asked to believe sire i believe it to be most urgent but i hope by the speed i have used that it is not irreparable speak as fully as you please sir said the king who began to give way to the emotion which had showed itself in blacas's face and affected villefort's voice speak sir and pray begin at the beginning i like order in everything sire said villefort i will render a faithful report to your majesty but i must entreat your forgiveness if my anxiety leads to some obscurity in my language a glance at the king after this discreet and subtle exordium assured villefort of the benignity of his august auditor and he went on sire i have come as rapidly to paris as possible to inform your majesty that i have discovered in the exercise of my duties not a commonplace and insignificant plot such as is every day got up in the lower ranks of the people and in the army but an actual conspiracy a storm which menaces no less than your majesty's throne sire the usurper is arming three ships he meditates some project which however mad is yet perhaps terrible at this moment he will have left elba to go whither i know not but assuredly to attempt a landing either at naples or on the coast of tuscany or perhaps on the shores of france 
your majesty is well aware that the sovereign of the island of elba has maintained his relations with italy and france i am sir said the king much agitated and recently we have had information that the bonapartist clubs have had meetings in the rue st jacques but proceed i beg of you how did you obtain these details sire they are the results of an examination which i have made of a man of marseilles whom i have watched for some time and arrested on the day of my departure this person a sailor of turbulent character and whom i suspected of bonapartism has been secretly to the island of elba there he saw the grand marshal who charged him with an oral message to a bonapartist in paris whose name i could not extract from him but this mission was to prepare men's minds for a return it is the man who says this sire a return which will soon occur and where is this man in prison sire and the matter seems serious to you so serious sire that when the circumstance surprised me in the midst of a family festival on the very day of my betrothal i left my bride and friends postponing everything that i might hasten to lay at your majesty's feet the fears which impressed me and the assurance of my devotion true said louis the eighteenth was there not a marriage engagement between you and mademoiselle de saint moran daughter of one of your majesty's most faithful servants yes yes but let us talk of this plot monsieur villefort sire i fear it is more than a plot i fear it is a conspiracy a conspiracy in these times said louis the eighteenth smiling is a thing very easy to meditate but more difficult to conduct to an end inasmuch as re-established so recently on the throne of our ancestors we have our eyes open at once upon the past the present and the future for the last ten months my ministers have redoubled their vigilance in order to watch the shores of the mediterranean if bonaparte landed at naples the whole coalition would be on foot before he could even reach piumoino if he land in tuscany he will be in an unfriendly territory if he land in france it must be with a handful of men and the result of that is easily foretold execrated as he is by the population take courage sir but at the same time rely on our royal gratitude ah here is monsieur d'andre cried de blacas at this instant the minister of police appeared at the door pale trembling and as if ready to faint villefort was about to retire but m de blacas taking his hand restrained him End of chapter ten